Did you hear about the fellow who called the radio show uh, many years ago? I can remember uh, when I was in seminary and would work uh, in the grocery store all night long stocking the shelves and it'd get to be kind of boring and so we'd play the radio all night. There weren't many choices on the radio outside of country music in East Tennessee. And so, uh, but people would call in and request certain numbers. Sometimes we call in and request a number to be played. Hear about the fellow who called in and to a certain radio station and he says, would you play 10 Funky Fingers from Alabama? And the radio DJ says, um, no, um, but I have 12 kids in Tennessee. And the caller said, is that a record? And the host said, no, but it's way above average, okay? <laughs> communication, communication with words sometimes gets kind of messed up and kind of convoluted, doesn't it? Doesn't it? When you think about a leader and someone you will follow, their words are very important, very important. And they're folks that are gifted in the communication of words above others. But you know what? Uh, absent another quality, someone with words can't be an effective leader, no matter how eloquent they are. And that quality is not only saying the right thing, but also living it out. Someone once said, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one. Words are important, but example, example is also vitally important. We stand on the cusp of a new chapter in the life of our church. In about a week, we'll be going down to Noonan to begin worshiping in our new worship building down there that God has blessed us with. And we look forward with great anticipation to all that lies ahead over the next years as we proclaim the gospel in Noonan, Georgia. There was a great buzz and a great excitement yesterday as probably 40 or 50 volunteers were there training and getting ready for next Sunday and the weeks to come an amazement and a buzz that you'll be sharing, many of you, next Sunday when you see that building for the first time. And in that building, we're going to proclaim the gospel and we're going to teach the gospel. But there's got to be a quality that is also in that building going forward. And that quality is not only teaching it and proclaiming it, but living it out, showing it to other people. And so today I bring you a message that has to do with that, written many, many years ago to a person who needed to hear just that principle impressed upon him. We remember Timothy, character in the Bible. We remember that there are two pastoral epistles, 1 and 2 Timothy, that are written to Timothy along with one written to Titus by the Apostle Paul. These would be near the end of the Apostle Paul's life. And in those epistles, he wanted to give advice to this young man whom he had mentored. We remember Timothy, who was a disciple of Paul, a co-worker, a native of Lystra, 
He went with Paul and Silas to Macedonia, to Corinth. He was entrusted with the oversight of the church at Ephesus as Paul left there. Probably in the early 60s AD, the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy in his first letter. And as he is in this letter, very much involved in encouraging Timothy and giving him insight as to how to conduct the affairs of the church, how to deal with situations, appealing to him to stand firm in the faith, stand firm in the proper truth and orthodox beliefs of Christianity, and encouraging him to, to, to not only speak the right things, but then in chapter 4 of 1 Timothy, in verse 12, he says a very profound thing to Timothy, and I think something that Timothy very much needed to hear, as you and I do today. He simply says this, command and teach these things. He says, listen, verse 12, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in speech and life, in love, in faith, Impurity. The state of Missouri is a state that I'm very familiar with because many, many years as I was a youth pastor, I would go to a youth minister's conference every year in the state of Missouri, a week-long conference that was a great encouragement to me as a youth minister and hundreds of other youth ministers who would go and spend a week hearing all kinds of preaching and teaching and going to seminars and getting ideas and it would be a, a great time to, to get your batteries recharged and to be encouraged. The reason I know about Missouri is because that conference was in Missouri every year and for some reason they had it in January of every year in Missouri. Now, if you know anything about Missouri in January, you know that it's gray and overcast all the time. It's often cold, often snowy. But one of the things I remember about Missouri outside of the weather is the motto for the state of Missouri. You know it. The state of Missouri is the what state? Show me state. And I believe that's traced back to a politician in the 1890s named Vandiver. And basically, he wanted to say to folks not to be gullible, not to listen to what he called frothy words, but rather to, to, to look behind those words and to see if those words were backed up with a consistency. And so for a hundred years or more, Missourians have said, show me, don't just tell me, show me. A principle of example, a principle of not just words. When we think about Timothy and his youth as a young pastor, think about what he might encounter. When he first met the Apostle Paul, he was probably only in his mid-teens. Probably by the time Paul writes to him here, he's in his early 20s or mid-20s. Think about that. Here he is given charge of a church there in Ephesus that for a couple of years had had the Apostle Paul in charge. Just think about following that person. 
I remember once many years ago when I was a young youth pastor, I made one of my early hospital calls and this really happened. As I went into the hospital room, they said very nicely to me, it is so nice of you to come, but when's Jim Dyer coming? <laughs> I was only about 19 or 20 at that time. And uh, I kind of thought, well, okay, but you know what? I understand what they meant. I understood of it. I understood what was happening. We know that with youth comes sometimes a little bit of a lack of respect, a little bit of, well, you don't quite have credibility with me yet because you haven't had too many miles under your tires in the life that we live. Not much experience. And we understand that, that principle. And to a Timothy who would encounter the same type of thing, undoubtedly, the Apostle Paul gives him some very simple advice. Simple advice that is pertinent to me and pertinent to you today. Profound, powerful advice in terms of how to get people to follow you, how to be effective in the Lord's work. It's interesting that before the Apostle Paul gives Timothy any instructions later in chapter 4 about preaching and teaching, he tells him this. He says, show the people an example. Show them an example in your life, in your life. This same principle seems to be echoed in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 9. As the Apostle Paul says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, do. You've seen my example. Emulate that. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 7 says this. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their life and imitate their faith. So perhaps the reason Paul puts things in this order can be found in common sense. That is, people are much more apt to listen to a younger person, to listen to anyone, if they see that that person's words are consistent with their actions. Many of us, over the years, had the privilege of attending what we call church camp. Back years ago, we call it Christian service camp. Perhaps we were able to teach or serve in some capacity of leadership in church camp. And as you go and you remember those fond memories and the things that you remember from church camps, well, I went to many of them, and I heard some great lessons and great inspirational uh, 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 talks around the campfire and things of that nature. But I can't, new, I can't re reproduce to you those talks or lessons. But you know what I do remember? I remember the people who taught those lessons. I remember the people who impacted me by their character and by seeing that the things that they said were lived out consistently, consistently in their actions. That's an encouraging thing to me today because sometimes I don't know the right thing to say. Sometimes I'm not effective at saying the right thing. So isn't it a comfort to know that it's not just about what I say, 
or what I'm equipped to say. No, more important than that is the example that I show, the ability to live out the precepts and the principles of Christian living in real life to people and to know that that is far more effective than words. It gets attention. It makes people want to know what's different about us when they see a consistency in our life. Well, what does Paul say to Timothy today? I'd like to center on three things that he calls him to in terms of example. He says, listen, Timothy. He says, show people an example in your life, you know? Not just your words. Your speech is important, he says. Show them an example in your speech and your life. So it's implied that he's going to be saying the right things, teaching the right things. But then he goes on and says, listen, live it out. Show it to people and show it to them in three areas specifically. He says, listen, Timothy. He says, Southwest Christian Church. He says, James today. He says, show folks something about love. After all, what does the world say to us about love? It's something that's temporal. It's something that you always receive. It has something that always has a price tag attached to it, that, that it's not authentic, it's not really genuine. We see that in media, we say that in movies, we see that all over the place when we look at love. But what kind of love are we advocating today? What kind of love is Paul telling Timothy to show to people? Well, it's a love that Jesus would said would be the identifying mark of those who are Christians. They'll know you're Christians by your love for them. The love that, called the second, that caused the second century philosopher Celsus to say, how these Christians love one another as he looked at them and shook their head, as they loved in spite of adversity and loved in spite of all that was thrown at them. The authentic love that we see so aptly described in that beautiful passage of 1 Corinthians 13 that talks about love and how it's sincere and love never fails and all the beautiful things that are said about love. It envieth not it vaunteth not itself, all these things. The world around us would say that this kind of love is impossible to attain, that it's only a lofty ideal. But the challenge for you and the challenge for me and the challenge for Timothy today and in that day is to counter the prevalent attitude and say, guess what? I'm going to show you that it's attainable because I'm going to show it to you consistently. Romans chapter 13 tells us that love is the fulfillment of the law. The fulfillment of the law. If we love each other, there won't be problems with coveting. There won't be problems with stealing. Don't you see? If I love someone and wants what's best for them, then I won't have a problem with those things. That's what Paul means when he says love is the culmination, the fulfillment of the law. But take it one step further. Romans 8 also says love does no wrong to a neighbor. Does no wrong to a neighbor. So in every facet of my life today, I'm called to love. 
and let that agape love affect my relationships with others. Agape love affecting my relationships and my family, my family, with my friends, doing what's right for them, doing what's best for them, regardless of how they respond, regardless of what I might receive in return, mindful of the love that the Lord Jesus Christ showed for us, as the scripture says, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, not after we had cleaned up our act and become righteous on our own, which wouldn't have been possible, but many have tried to do. No, he came in our worst state to love us, to love us. And he didn't just talk about it. He showed it tangibly with his act of obedient sacrifice to the cross for our benefit. How do I respond when I'm misunderstood in interpersonal relationships, wrongly accused? Do I blow up? Do I retaliate? Do I get mad and become quiet and cut off communication? No, no. In the spirit of love that God calls me to, the agape love, the love, the Greek word agape for love that, that has to do with Christian love. I love in a tangible way, not just with words. Maybe sometimes we get to a point where words aren't effective, but I can love by simple little acts of patience and turning the other cheek and being faithful to folks who seemingly are ostracized from me, but I'm still faithful to them in their times of need. Agape love. When this kind of love was seen in the first century, the world shook its head in amazement. Why are these people caring for these orphans? There's so many orphans in that time. That's why the scripture talks about it so much. Why are these people caring for these widows? That's not what our secular society would do. That wasn't prevalent at all in that Greco-Roman world. And the church came along and began to be the ones doing that. And began to be the ones loving in the name of Jesus Christ, giving a cup of water in his name. They weren't all eloquent in their words. They weren't all eloquent in their words, but they were eloquent in their actions. And because of their actions, the world was changed. And the gospel grew like wildfire. And this small group of a hundred folks before Pentecost became tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands in the near years that would follow that. These Christians loved one another. And today God calls me and he calls you as he called Timothy to show people an example in the way that I love them. To not just talk about it, to show it tangibly. But he also says to Timothy, he says something else. He says, show people something, an example about faith. Show them an example about faith. Everybody lives by faith. Even those who are secularists and atheists who say they don't, everybody lives by faith. You know, every time I get in my car and crank it up and come up to a stop sign, I have faith that when I put on the brake pedal, it's going to stop because somebody did their job correctly. Every time I go into the grocery store and buy a can of soup and open that up, and I, I, I prepare that assured that I'm not gonna get sick because somebody did their job faithfully. I have faith in those things. We all have faith. 
and what's important in life is the object of our faith. We all live by faith, but the object of our faith is what's important. The scripture says so much about faith, doesn't it? We think about that chapter in Hebrews chapter 11, this great chapter on faith. And as you think about it and you see names like Abel and Abraham and Isaac and Moses and on and on and on throughout that great chapter of faith. When you think about all those great people, David and so forth, things that happen, what comes to mind? Number one, I think, things didn't always go well for these folks. When you think about it, their lives weren't always free of adversity and peril. But in the face of adversity and peril and challenging things where they didn't know what was going to happen, they trusted God to fulfill his promises. And he did. When I face adversity, do I trust God today? Do I trust God today? Do I demonstrate my faithfulness to God in tough times? In tough times. God calls us today to show people an example of faith. We have done in the last few years something that the world would say is impossible, but we have done it in partnership with the Lord leading the way and providing us the purpose and vision and the resources and asking for our faithfulness in return. Do you realize that just a few short years ago, 250 people in East Point purposed to relocate a church building to Noonan, a tough decision, very hard, a daunting task. How are we going to do it? And then after a little while, we sent out about half those folks to come on down to Noonan and to start in Noonan while the other half was still in East Point, keeping the doors open there, serving the Lord there. And in the face of all that, what do we have? A situation where how are we going to buy property? Where are we going to buy it? Great people along the way helped us in all those different things. And we found 15 acres of property. Mike Harbin helped us find 15 acres of property down the road there. And guess what? That little group of people, 250 people at the time, ended up paying for those 15 acres of property. It's paid for. Now that, that's, the world would look at that and say, oh, how can you do that? We did it because we had faith that who we were following was bigger than what the world and circumstances around us said. And then we went on to say, well, we need to build a church building. And how in the world are these now 300, 350 people going to build a $4.5 million church building? How in the world are people going to raise a Let's Go campaign of over a million dollars to furnish that church building? And yet, we stand a week away from walking into that church building because of faith in God, because of faith that says, I'm going to trust you and I'm going to willingly give them my resources and my time and my efforts because I believe you've called us to do this. And the Lord has shown us that when we trust in him by faith, we can accomplish things that the world would say, you'll never do that. And yet we have and God has by his power that we've tapped into. The Apostle Paul says, show people something about love. Show people something about faith. And then he says to Timothy, show people something about purity. 
purity, consistency in your life. The idea in this word is a state of purity which involves both actions and thoughts. Consistency in actions and thoughts. We can't expect our friends and those around us to change. We can't expect our family to change for the better. We can't expect our world to change for the better unless we ourselves are changed, transformed into the likeness of Christ. It's a process. I was talking to someone just this morning about that, saying, you know what, it's a process. We're not all there yet. The Apostle Paul, what did he say about himself? Not that I have already obtained perfection. He says, no, I'm not perfect. I press on to the upward call of the call of Jesus Christ. So it's all a process in our life. But the more we know Christ, the longer we're in Christ, the more we become transformed into the likeness of his son. The fruits of the spirit, you're well aware Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control, kindness, all these different things, all those type of qualities. I don't have them all mastered yet in a perfect way, and you don't either. But the longer we know the Lord Jesus Christ and the longer we let him <coughs> affect us by his word and the longer we're around people who call us to maturity in Christ, then the longer we are, the more apt, that people can say about you and me <clears throat> is that more often than not that person shows <clears throat> love, joy, peace, patience, kindness as the habit of their life and that's what it's about a process a process of being transformed God's righteousness is imputed to us through Jesus Christ and then as we receive it and allow that spirit to transform us we become more and more in his likeness. And people see that. And no matter if we're great, eloquent speakers or teachers or not, they see our actions, our behavior. And because of that, they're changed and transformed as they see to see the gospel before them. Many years ago, I heard the story of a doctor, a Christian doctor, who was serving in a South American country South American city that as in the case of many South American countries in the past have had times where they've had dictators, have times when uh, they've served under the yoke of communism and that type of, of mindset. And he remembered one day that he was working in a, a city and, and he, he treated the people there in that city during the day and he charged them during the day as he treated those people. But then from the proceeds, he went and he bought medicines. And he would go to the poor neighborhoods of the city at night. And he would free of charge administer those medicines to those poor folks who needed them. In that, in that city, there was a communist community organizer who was trying to to, to stir up people towards that type of political system. And he observed every day that doctor giving out that medicine to those poor folks. And along with it, when he'd get out the, give out the medicine, he'd get on the top of his car hood and he'd get out his Bible and he'd preach the gospel. He preached the gospel. This leader of communism had the power to influence him to 
stop him from getting up on that car and to, to do it, but someone was standing next to him one day as there was a crowd around that preacher and that leader was there watching it and someone kind of elbowed him and said, why don't you do something to stop him? He's, he's not helping your cause here. Why, why don't you do something to stop him? Because he's preaching about a God and you say there is no God. And that communist leader simply shrugged and said, what can I do? What can I do? He has earned the right to be heard. It takes courage for us to be different. But we're not in it alone. Courage to show people the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're not in it alone. We can change the world. We can change the community. A person at a time. A community at a time. And we're most apt to do that if the first thing we do is not figure out what our words are going to be, but make sure that our example is going to be consistent with those words and the words that are in Scripture to live a life in such a way as people will wonder, why? Why are you that way? That's the kind of life that gets attention. That's the kind of life that changes the world. As I conclude today, I remind you of a story about our Lord Jesus Christ. You remember the Sermon on the Mount. You remember all the wonderful, lofty principles that the Lord taught in that Sermon on the Mount. Wonderful things, great principles that even folks who don't believe in, in Christ hold high in our world. Great, great principles. Well, as you read on after you go past Matthew chapter 5 through 7 and read on over the next few chapters, you'll find out what happens after that Sermon on the Mount as Jesus comes down from that mountain and immediately begins to encounter people, people who are in need. He encounters people who, who have leprosy, which was the wrong disease to have at that time. He encounters a, someone who's a centurion who has a family member that needs some help and that was the wrong political person to associate with at that time he encounters Peter's mother-in-law and in that day and time women did not have a good standing society so the men would look down on him for spending time with her he encounters all kinds of people people who are lame and had different different maladies that affected them one after the other and in every situation, the scripture says, Jesus looked on them with compassion. Jesus stopped. Jesus helped them. Jesus lived a life that was consistent with the lofty words that he had just spoken on the Sermon on the Mount. And then later on, later on, the Gospel of Matthew records these words about the Lord Jesus. And it says this, that the people and the crowds perceived Jesus as one who had authority. Authority. And not like the Sadducees and Pharisees and teachers of the law who they knew were hypocritical in their life. Those Sadducees and Pharisees and teachers of the law said one thing, 
but lived another way. But the people saw Jesus and followed Jesus as one who had authority. And where does his authority come from? Certainly, the authority of being the Son of God, yes. But in a practical way, the people said, this man lives what he says. And because of that, what he says has credibility in my heart. 